This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning. Genesis chapter 49, verses 13 to 33. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bough remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. Blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it were brought, bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Let's pray. Lord God, as has already been said, we thank you for the life and breath that you've given us today. Thank you for the joy and comfort it is to come to your house and worship with brothers and sisters. Pray, Lord, you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, your strength to Mark as he preaches it to us and teaches what you have given him to teach. I pray you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to your word, your truth, and we would be changed by it. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love to us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Welcome to Antioch, where we keep it frosty. So we believe it's easier for you to put clothes on than it is to take them off, and it's certainly much more appropriate. So if you haven't figured that out yet, look at Nita. 
Bring a sweater. Well, we are glad to be again with Jacob in blessing his 12 sons, and this is his final day on earth. And you know that after today, we have two more Sundays in Genesis, and that's it, this wonderful book of beginnings. It will be exciting to finish, but sad to say goodbye. But the good news is that Genesis is not going anywhere. You can visit it at any time and remind yourself of the blessings. We've seen the blessing of God on his creation, therefore the picture uh, somebody put online this week when I put the picture up there. He holds the whole, I think it was Jeff's parents. He holds the whole world in his hands. Yes, he does. So from the creation, from the very beginning of time and to the end of Jacob's life, and as we near the end of the story, we see again the blessing of the people of God by this final patriarch. So let's look at the passage today under those three points. It's in the title, Seven Brothers, Joseph, and Death of a Patriarch. So, as I said last week, you can do a deep dive in each of these 12 sons uh, yourself in the Old Testament um, and see how they do and what they do after their father died. This is, this is merely an introductory course. In fact, this whole study of Genesis has been an introductory course. You can do graduate-level studies on your own by following the tribes every verse, every time they're mentioned in Scripture, not just in the Old, but in the New as well. But let's look at, take a look at these seven sons who were being uh, blessed by Jacob before we turn to Joseph. And let's look at them in turn to try to uncover a few nuggets about them as Jacob blesses them with encouragement. And remember, this is not just encouragement. Hey, guys, as you go, this is what's going to happen for, your, for you and your ancestors, but also it's prophecy about that as well. Zebulun, I think, represents my tribe, at least in my heart, because he settled near the sea. I like that, right? If he settled somewhere between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, he could look both ways and almost see water. One thing about Zebulun is interesting. He holds a distinction among the tribes as being the one who had the largest number of soldiers to come to David when he was at Hebron and he was establishing his kingdom. Saul has died and now David is finally king. He's been anointed for a while. And it says they came to help David with singleness of purpose. So there's some praise there for Zebulun. Issachar is called a strong donkey. So maybe that's really my tribe. It appears that Jacob is saying here that his tribe, that Issachar's tribe, will be characterized by a love for material things. Even so much that he's going to become a servant in order to keep those material things. One Old Testament scholar, Herbert Leopold, said this, The meaning seems to be that Issachar was strong but docile and lazy. He would enjoy the good land assigned to him but would not strive for it. Therefore, eventually he would be pressed into servitude and the mere bearing of burdens for his masters. Do some research sometimes on those who win the lottery or those who win big prizes because they buy those stupid little scratch-off tickets. See what happens to that millions of dollars that they they made very quickly within just a couple of years. They're strong donkeys. Uh, they, they end up serving others rather than uh, managing their money wisely. And apparently Issachar was like that. There's one verse in the Old Testament. Some of you know this. Uh, when it's talking about the, the men who were helping David with the battles, it says Issachar, the sons of Issachar were what? You remember that? They were wise. They understood the times and knew what Israel must do. So there's some praise there uh, later in, in the Old Testament. Dan. Dan shall judge... Right? Or vindicate. The root of the Hebrew word for vindicate is Dan. 
And we know that Dan was a tribe from which judges come. In fact, Samson was uh, from the tribe of Dan, and he judged well. He was judged for, I think, 20, 20 years at least, and he judged well until he gave in to his own desires. And that's kind of typical of what happens with Dan. Dan will give in to violence and treachery. This tribe introduced idolatry into the nations in Judges 18. Just write that reference. You can look it up yourself. Later, Dan will become a center for idolatrous worship. They're proud of their idolatrous worship. Uh, when you look at Revelation 7, I said this a few weeks ago, Dan's not even mentioned when Revelation 7 names the 12 tribes of Israel. And what part of the reason, some believe, is because Dan had given themselves over to idolatry. Interesting, uh, verse 18. Jacob adds, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. It seems out of place there, doesn't it? We don't really know why Jacob stopped there and said, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Two theories. Number one is, he was praying for Dan, right? Lord, help this boy. There's bad stuff coming down the road because of him. Or he may have been crying out to heaven because he knows that his time is at hand and he's going to be there soon. Lord, I'm waiting for your salvation, your ultimate salvation, as you bring me into your presence. Now, Gad is interesting. Gad sounds like, in Hebrew, it sounds like raider, raider, and and. Jacob uses his name four times in one sentence, right? That's what the six words in Jacob's prophecies, four of them are Gad. Uh, These guys were mighty warriors whose faces were like the faces of lions and who were swift as gazelles in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 8. Jacob says that their borders, basically in one sentence, he says your borders are constantly be raided. You're going to constantly be raided from outside because people want to conquer you. And at times they will be conquered just for a season. Like the Ammonites, if you read in Jeremiah 49, the Ammonites will take over Gad's property, but then Gad will get it back. Uh, They will overcome. Charles Spurgeon wrote, This has been the blessing of many a child of God, to fight and apparently to lose the battle, yet to win it at the end. Asher, interesting fellow. Asher, greatly blessed with a land of abundance. The food that's so, so good from Asher that he will supply royalty. Uh, and we don't know what that means exactly, but the people of, of the tribe of Asher were able to supply food for kings. Moses will say of this tribe, remember in the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to bless the sons of Israel again. That's in Deuteronomy 33. You can compare the list and see how hundreds of years later, these tribes, some of them have changed. They've gotten better. There's some good things happening. And he's going to say of Asher, most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him dip his foot in oil. Some have claimed that that meant there would be crude oil found by the sons of Asher. I don't think so. I think that's a metaphor for uh, uh, oil, olive oil, which was a sign in the Old Testament of abundance. So Asher and his people were very wealthy. Now, it's very interesting. Remember we talked about in in, in, uh, Judges 5, Deborah had to stand up and lead the army because Barak was a chicken. And so Deborah leads the army against Sisera in Judges 5. And there were four tribes who set that out. They didn't fight with them. Reuben, Dan, Asher, and Gad all stayed home. And then we come to Naphtali. And these are not, obviously some of these are not in order. I don't know different reasons why people proposed that, that Moses listed these. Or Jacob may have even listed them in order I think it had to do with uh, the mother of these sons. These sons who had the same mother were put together. Anyway, doesn't matter. 
Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Does anybody know what that means? I think some of you would be part of this tribe because Naphtali, we believe, was a mountain lover. That's where they dwelled in the, dwelt in the mountains. They also fought valiantly alongside Deborah and were praised as men who risked their lives to the death at, on the heights of the field. Okay, they fought uh, on the mountaintops. And this tribe lived near the uh, Sea of Galilee in the hills, uh, supposedly, where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. In fact, he mentions Matthew in Matthew 4. Matthew writes, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. That was Jesus. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent. So Jesus spent a lot of time in the area where the Zebulonites and the Naphtalites rested or settled. And then we come, we're going to skip to verse 27, and we come to Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin will get high praise from Moses. Again, this is Deuteronomy 33. Moses says, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. Again, Benjamin seems to have done some good things, at least during Moses' time, so he praises Benjamin. But Jacob's description, you're a ravening wolf, right? And you devour in the morning, and then you divide the spoils in the evening. Some say that's a positive thing because he was very vicious and fierce in battle. And some say that's not a positive thing. You know, one thing about wolves is that they're vicious, but they also kill more than they can eat. A lion will not kill more than it can eat, but a, but a wolf will. Uh, it, 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 it's sport to, to the wolf, right? Well, this, we see this tribe's fierceness again. You can look this up. Ahud, remember Ahud, who took his sword and buried it in the belly of Eglon? He was so fat that the sword kind of disappeared in his belly. Well, Ahud was from this tribe. And you can read about him in Judges chapter 3. All the teenage boys are going, all right, let me read that story. Judges chapter uh, 3. Also, you can read between, uh, the war between Benjamin and Israel in Judges 19 and 20. <clears throat> One positive of Benjamin, for sure, is that, remember when there was a, the northern tribe and the southern tribes after Solomon's death, and there was a division of the kingdom, right? What comprised the, the southern tribes? Two of them, just two tribes. There you go, Judah and Benjamin. So Benjamin stayed faithful, he stayed loyal to Judah, and that was a good thing. This was, this was the better kingdom, if you will, the southern kingdom. And it's from this tribe that a certain man named Saul, who was a vicious wolf, who attacked Christians, right? And then, of course, he was apprehended on the road to Damascus, and he became the greatest apostle, perhaps, of all time. Paul the apostle is from the tribe of Benjamin. He talks about that in Philippians chapter 3 when he's giving his resume uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, those are the seven. Now, we finished the 11. Now, let's move to Joseph. As I said last week, the lion's share of the blessings goes to Judah and Joseph. Judah is the lion of the tribes. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But clearly, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, right? I mean, he loves, he, he, he loves Joseph. He loves Judah, but he really loves Joseph, because Joseph 
was faithful. He lived in such a way, I think, to increase the favor of his father over the years. That's why Spurgeon wrote, the main point in Joseph's character was that he was in clear and constant fellowship with God, and therefore God blessed him greatly. He lived to God and was God's servant. He lived with God and was God's child. Amen. May that be said of all of us. So what do we see here? Uh, First, we see Jacob is fruitful and prosperous. He's a fruitful bough. Jacob waxes poetic here in describing his son Joseph as this, this fruit-bearing plant that is so abundant with fruit and so voluminous that it, that it falls over the wall. Right? That climbs over the wall and just spreads out and the fruit is, is everywhere. And that's, that's what the way he sees Joseph. He was a, a man with great love for God. Where did that love for God come from? Right? I think a lot of it came from his suffering. Joseph, going through the suffering that he did, and being sold into slavery, and then being accused falsely, and being put in prison for several years, and then being promised that the man would remember him to Pharaoh, and having to stay in for two more years, all of that suffering led this man to develop his love for and relationship with God. And interesting, Jacob says he will be attacked with bow and arrow. We don't see that anywhere in the story of Joseph, of people literally attacking him and trying to kill him with bow and arrow. So most believe that that meant verbal attacks with bitter words and accusing words. And of course he was. Potiphar's wife bitterly attacked him and lied about him uh, to her husband and to the servants. Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, because this is going to happen to us and has happened to us, all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. That's a promise, right? Being a Christian is not rainbows and butterflies. It's persecution and and tribulation and suffering that refines us and makes us more like the Son, uh, the the Son of God who was the, the Lamb who suffered for us. But not only that, when Joseph was attacked, God helped him hold his bow. God helped his arms remain strong and agile. God's mighty hands gave him success and saved him and blessed him. God was blessing Joseph and with Joseph even when Joseph did not know God was with him, right? And the same is true for us. God is with us. And in fact, more than that, Jesus said, But if I go, I will send him, that's the Holy Spirit, to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And He, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. What a wonderful thing. Joseph knew nothing of that. God was with him. But saints, listen, God, by, by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is in us. If you're born again, the Spirit, you're born again because the Spirit indwelt you at the moment of your conversion. By grace, through faith, you were saved. The Spirit came in, sealed you for eternity, and will never leave. And, of course, we won't need the Holy Spirit in us in heaven. We will be in the presence of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then Jacob goes on to give God five titles. Look at this. He uses the word blessings five times, talking about Joseph. And he gives God five titles. Remember, five in Egypt is a big deal. I think Jacob has become part Egyptian in the 17 years he's lived there. He's kind of fallen into that pattern, maybe. We don't know that for sure. But five was a very important number in Egypt. Remember, Joseph gave Benjamin five times as much food. He gave him five times as many changes of garments. 
because that was a way of blessing. So what does Jacob say about God? Well, he says he's the mighty God, one of Jacob, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the God of your father, the Almighty. I like that. The shepherd, God leads us. The stone of Israel, God is absolutely immovable. He does not change. He is a stone that we can stand on, and yet he's a shepherd who leads us. Going through a study with uh, folks at Elon on Wednesdays, some some staff and some faculty, and we're going through a a series of of, uh, episodes of Knowing Faith. If you've never listened to Knowing Faith, I highly recommend it. But season nine is all about the doctrine of God. And one of the things that we've learned about God this week is that he's the eternally, eternally the father. We all know that. And one of the things they said that podcast I really liked. I'm getting off my script here. But they said, you know, if you had a lousy father, and some, some people in this room had a lousy father, and, and if you think of God as a father and you think of your father, sometimes that's, that ruins it, right? And you're, not, you're not sure you can ever think of God as a father. But we need to remember that your father on his best day was infinitely worse than our heavenly father. He's perfect in his love for us. And your father on his worst day cannot even begin to compare to the infinite love and mercy and grace that our eternal father has poured out on us through his son Jesus. The father's eternal father. He's also eternally the unsent one. God never left heaven. He sent Jesus. He's the mighty one of Jacob. He's the shepherd. He's the stone of Israel. He's the God of your father, the almighty. Wonderful blessing. Look at verse 26. I love this. Verse 26. Jacob says, he's looking at Joseph. He says, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. What? He's saying, hey, Joseph, I want you to know that the way God has blessed me is a whole lot better than the way God has blessed Isaac and Jacob. Now, the way I, I mean, Isaac and Abraham. Now, the way I just said that is not what Jacob was saying. He wasn't saying, I, you know, God apparently loves me a lot better than he loved my dad and my granddad. No, I think Jacob has finally, at the end of his life, Maybe this took place earlier than this day. I hope it did. But at the end of his life, he finally understands how much grace God had poured out on him and how undeserving he was. How absolutely undeserving he was. And look, that's, that's why they call it grace. Can any of us deserve grace? Everybody said no. But Jacob has seen, I think he could have said, He has blessed me beyond anything I can imagine because I know I was selfish. I was deceitful. I was a bad father and I was a lousy patriarch. And yet he forgave me and he turned my heart towards him. That's God. And that's his grace. You know, when I read this, I thought about the woman who came into Simon's house and Jesus was there having a meal with Simon this proud Pharisee, but at least he wanted to meet with Jesus. And this woman comes in, and she's weeping on Jesus' feet, and she's wiping his feet with her tears, and she's pouring oil on his feet, and Simon looks at Jesus and says, you know, uh, if you knew what this woman was, you wouldn't be letting her do this, because she was a woman of ill repute. 
And Jesus said, hey, let me tell you a story. You remember that story? He says, you know, a guy owes $500,000 and another guy owes five and they're both forgiven. Who's going to love the guy who forgave him the most? And Simon says, I guess the one who owed him the most. He said, right. He said, this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. And I think Jacob was at that place where he says, oh, my goodness, how much God has carried me and loved me. And forgiven me. And I'm blessed. So the 12 tribes are blessed by Jacob. And that leads us to his final moment. You know that Jacob did not wait until his dying breath to exact a promise from his sons about his burial, right? When Vic preached a few weeks ago, that was part of the text he he covered in chapter 47. Where he told Joseph, hey, 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 listen to me, Joseph. You will not bury me here. You will not. You're going to take my bones back to Canaan, and you're going to bury me there. You know, I think just in the side here, uh, Joseph believed, or Jacob believed, as we all should probably, in (laughs) pre-planning. Love your family, older people, by pre-planning your funeral. He told Joseph earlier in chapter 47, he even made Joseph swear an oath that under no circumstances would he bury him there. And now he says it again. He tells his 12 sons. I think he wanted 12 witnesses, right? 12 of you, all of you know that's where I'm going. But look at how he does it. First, he says, I am to be gathered to my people. And we can skip over that sentence and think nothing of it. But listen, that's an important, important theological principle here that Jacob is expressing. He says, I'm to be gathered. He says, he has faith to believe in God, the only one who can raise people from the dead. He doesn't say, you know, put my remains in a cave with the remains of my father, my grandfather, throw my bones in there, that's where, that's where, that's where I'll be. No. He says, I'm to be gathered with, or I am going to my people. I'm going to the people of God who've gone before me. I have to leave my people here who are still alive, but I'm going to my people there who are fully alive, and these will join us one day, and all of us will be fully alive in the presence of God for all eternity. What a glorious thing it is to stand by the bedside of someone, a loved one, who understands that and can celebrate even in the final days of his or her life, that this is just passing from one realm to the other, right? We talked about that with Ray. He's more alive than he's ever been. We should be jealous at the same time we miss him. He's more alive than we understand right now. We'll see it one day ourselves. And how sad it is, how tragic it is to stand beside the deathbed of someone that doesn't know that. And you know they don't know that. And you're praying, oh God, please. I've shared so many times, I've shared with them, please give this person, my loved one, grace and faith to believe in you, even even at their last moment. And then they die, and, and we have to go on the rest of our lives trusting God with that, don't we? That's all we can do is trust God with the loved one who we knew was not a believer that 
whether we'll see him again or not is, is totally in the Lord's hands. And it always was, right? It, will, it, always, it always is. It's the Lord's, it's the Lord's uh, uh, purview. And we, we have nothing to do with that except to pray, to pray and, of course, to share. So Jacob knew as surely as he had known his father, as surely as he had known his grandfather, as surely as he had known Rachel and Leah, that he was going to be with them. Not just in that cave, but he was going to be with them in heaven. Second, he commands his sons, bury me with my fathers. And it's funny, he gives them everything but a pen on a map, right? Everything but a latitude and longitude. He goes into great detail as to exactly where this is so that they don't miss it. Don't put me anywhere but there. And third, it's time he was ready and Jacob... Boy, wouldn't you like to die this way? Jacob's sitting on the edge of the bed. He's blessing his sons. And then he just kind of pulls his feet up in the bed and just lays back on the pillow. And he, he just draws his last breath. Doesn't usually happen that way, does it? Sometimes. But he breathed his last. And I love what Spurgeon wrote. Jacob did not yield up the ghost until he had delivered the last sentence of admonition and benediction to his 12 sons. He was immortal till his work was done. So were you. So long as God had another sentence to speak by him, death could not paralyze his tongue. <laughs> I love that. What can we take away? As Spurgeon wrote, Joseph was in clear and constant fellowship with God. May the same be said of you and me. We have the Holy Spirit and we are in constant fellowship with God. We break that fellowship, of course, when we sin. We go our own way. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us, but God's calling us to come back, <laughs> repent, come back, confess. Secondly, Jacob understood the amazing grace of God that, that God has shown him all his life. May we walk in that same grace that he gives us every moment. And may we realize that, not on our deathbed, but realize that day by day by day. And then finally, you know this, death is simply a door through which we will be eternally gathered to our people, the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for Jacob, for just the transformation that we've seen in his life. It just seems as if he's being conformed day by day and week by week and year by year until he's 147 years old and he's He's still being conformed to the image of God on his deathbed. But, Lord, we're thankful for that transformation that we took place. And we know it was all of grace. It was all of God. And we thankful, we're thankful that you're doing that saying for us, that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, continue that work. Help us to, to be willing and yielding and like putty in your hands that you may form us uh, into the person you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.